This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Xiao Yi. It's our open clinic segment today. It's Ask a Doctor and we will be discussing and getting questions about everything to do with the female reproductive system from the vagina to the ovaries and everything in between. So joining me in the studio today, consultant, obstetrician and gynecologist, Dr. Shilpa Nambia. Dr. Shilpa, thank you so much for joining me. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Xiao Yi. It's always a pleasure to come and talk to you and it's always a lot of fun. I think it will be a very interesting one today and we hope our listeners won't hold back. Ask us the questions that perhaps you've not been able to get answers on, problems that you've been experiencing that um, you're not sure who to talk to about it. Um, We'll be exploring everything from periods and bleeding to discharge, vaginal hygiene, sexual health, infections, cysts and fibroids, of course, and and really much more. So um, call us with your questions, 0377332900. WhatsApp our U-Mobile number, 018-789-8899, or tweet us at BFM Radio. We have quite a number of questions from social media and from uh, some women we've been talking to already, some people we've been talking to to start our show, but I wanted to um, get a broad understanding uh, or to make sure that we're not only looking at women uh, and you brought this up before we started Dr. Shopa that um, we don't only look at women uh, as reproductive vessels um, even though uh, we tend to associate the reproductive organs with that one function alone fertility having children but you know, many women may not have children, may be before or past that point in their lives, uh, may choose not to, may not be able to, whatever the reasons are. Um, we they, they need to understand um, the health of their body and their reproductive system um, beyond the context of uh, fertility. Uh, can you help us understand it? Well, it's, it's, it's quite sad, you're right, that women are reduced to what their reproductive organs can do, which is make a baby, grow the baby and nurture it. And once that's no longer an option, um, what does that mean? We have no function left in society. But the reproductive organs are a lot more than just making a baby. And the hormones that are produced by the brain, um, sending signals to the ovaries, do a lot more than um, produce an egg to be fertilized. It maintains your health. It maintains... um, good circulation, it has effects in the brain. So it is very much not just uh, making a baby, but it's part of our personality and who we are. Mm. Things like estrogen, progesterone and testosterone make a difference in whether you're a meek um, feminine person or a go-getter in the workplace. They they have effects in every organ of the body. Um, But unfortunately, the mechanics come right down to this cycle of making an egg. If it's not fertilized, you have a period at the end of the month. Mm. But the ovaries start functioning a few years even before the first menstruation. And it's important because it changes the body of a girl into one that looks like a woman. So she'll have um, sexually sec- secondary sexual characteristics like breast development, um, pubic and um, axillary hair. Um, she'll start to have curves around the hips, starting to look more like a woman. So the, the ovaries start functioning quite early. And there's even evidence to say that these hormones um, 
help to develop the adolescent brain mm. into an identity or into a personality. So yes, mm. you, who you are is your ovaries, um, but you are a lot more than just that. Yes, that's a, that's a good way of putting it. But also, I think if we um, continue to have a very narrow lens of um, women and um, girls sort of, you know, looking towards puberty and then that's the point where uh, they become women have babies I guess what I'm trying to get at is that narrow view means um, a lot of problems uh, that uh, girls and women experience could be neglected if um, they are not seen as uh, being in a reproductive age or um, being in a reproductive state. If it has nothing to do with you trying to have a baby or having a baby, you just have to learn to deal with it. That's far from the truth. I think anything that makes someone feel distressed or is affecting the quality of your life is a reason to see a doctor. And it's not all about whether you want to have a baby or not. So periods can be a problem. Although we know that a regular menstrual cycle means indirectly that you are ovulating, the cycle itself can be a problem. So if the cycle is not regular, it's all over the place. You don't have a period for three months and then sometimes you're bleeding every two weeks. There's something wrong with the hormones that are controlling reproduction. And although you may not be thinking of having a baby, it's worth going to check to see what's going on because it may have implications to your health. Mm. So some women have something called polycystic ovarian syndrome and this means that they may have issues with fertility, but also long-term issues with their health, like a predisposition to diabetes, to certain types of cancer. So it needs to be checked and addressed. Mm. How would you check that? Um, we do have Dania asking on Twitter if you have irregular periods. How do you know if it's caused by PCOS? It could also be thyroid issues, anything else. Uh, and do they definitely point to fertility problems? Not necessarily. So there are a host of reasons why you may have irregular periods, and the commonest is stress. Uh. Women who are stressed just stop ovulation because um, the body thinks it's got to fight some kind of war and shuts down the not-so-important function at that time, which right. is reproduction. Mm. So stress is a very potent um, reason for not getting your periods. But very young girls starting their menstrual journey may also have irregular periods for one or two years before the ovaries and the uterus sort of mature enough to have a predictable cycle. But if there is an irregular cycle, I would say the first thing to do is to see what kind of cycle you have. Now, not everyone has a 28 to 30 day cycle, mm -hmm. which means you get it around the same time every month. Mm -hmm. Some people may have a short cycle, 21 days. So then they'll say, I've got two periods in a month, but it doesn't mean that they have an irregular cycle. They just have their own cycle. So if you find that you're having periods every 21, 22 days, but it is a cycle, then that's normal. Mm. But if it's really all over the place, you can't even pinpoint, then that's a sign of a hormonal issue, mm. which needs to be checked. If a woman has been diagnosed with PCOS, it's safe to say irregular periods are you know, a symptom of the condition, right? It is one of the um, signs that we need to ask about to fulfill a criteria before you say polycystic ovarian syndrome. Mm. In fact, the most important criteria to say polycystic ovarian syndrome is to demonstrate there's an excess of uh, 
male hormones, testosterones and androgens. So what women normally find is that not only are their periods irregular, but you're getting acne maybe, um, facial hair, which is becoming embarrassing, or you've had to go for hair removal more often than you did before. Um, the classic appearance of someone with polycystic ovarian syndrome is someone who's getting a little bit overweight, but there's a lot more belly fat rather than fat around the hips where women normally have fat. Mm -hmm. So if you have any of these signs, it's worth doing a blood test, exploring the history in more detail. And then if you do, it's important to manage it. Mm. And then whether it's uh, linked to fertility issues or trouble conceiving uh, would depend on what the condition is that's causing irregular periods. Because like you said, many causes. Also, what's regular for one woman looks irregular. It's, it's not necessarily the same pattern. Yeah, there's mm. also some women who are just too skinny to have a period. And in order for her to start ovulating, she might have to put on some weight because the body thinks, you know, this person is going through some famine. It's not even enough to cope with her own health. There is no way she can cope with another. Mm -hmm. Right. Again, the body sort of um, going into some sort of survival <laughs> mode, <laughs> yeah, right? That's right? Yeah. Um, we have a question on fibroids. Um, Rohana was asking, um, I have uterine fibroids that don't cause any physical discomfort or pain, no cramps, no heavy periods or anything like that, but they do give me the appearance of being pregnant. What are the available treatment options to reduce or remove fibroids here in Malaysia? I'm under the impression that most treatments are invasive and expensive, hence not worth it if I'm not in any physical discomfort. Rohana says she's in her mid-30s with no children. Okay, so con um, I'm assuming that the uterine fibroid diagnosis is certain and there's no need to think that it might be something else. Now, a uterine fibroid is a growth. It's benign. It's within the wall uh, or the muscle of the uterus. And it, gets, it also depends on the same hormones that produce an egg. So as long as you're in your reproductive age with hormones, the fibroids will gradually get bigger and bigger. So if you take 10 people on the street, two of them will have fibroids. Out of the two, one, like Rohana, wouldn't even know she had a fibroid unless she did an ultrasound. And the other would be symptomatic, heavy periods, um, getting so big that it's pressing against other organs. So obviously, if it was asymptomatic, not causing any problems, there's no reason to do anything about it. Um, the only reason you'd want to do something about it is perhaps vanity. You just want to fit into that kabaya. Which is fair. But, which is mm. fair, yeah. Um, but if it is causing problems, severe bleeding, anemic symptoms because you're bleeding so much or, you know, now causing pressure on your bladder or your kidneys, then it needs to be removed. Unfortunately, you can't shrink a fibroid because to shrink it, you have to cut off its hormonal supply which in some situations is making a woman medically menopausal. But these treatments are temporary. And as soon as you stop them, the fibroids going to grow again. Mm. If you really felt as if these fibroids weren't causing any problem and they're not that big, then just wait until the natural menopause when there's no more hormones and then they'll probably stop growing or shrink. But... If you feel that you don't really like something growing in that, then the only treatment that will get rid of it completely is surgery to remove the fibroids. Mm. Is that very invasive, as Rohana says, expensive as well? 
Yes, it is invasive and expensive because it's surgery mm. and surgery that doesn't go without its own risks. Because taking a fibroid out of a uterus that is supplying it with blood flow and hormones is also going to increase bleeding. So there are risks with the surgery. There are some novel new um, treatments um, where we try to destroy the fibroid from within. So there, there's a, a doctor who does something called haifu uh, in one centre in Malaysia. Some radiologists will uh, use microwave to ablate it. They don't get rid of the fibroid. They may help to shrink it. And if it's a very big fibroid, the effect may not be enough to relieve your symptoms. Mm. But the only thing that will get rid of it completely is to take it out surgically. Take out the fibroid surgically, right? Mm. You don't have to remove the uterus. You don't have to remove the uterus, but when you do surgery to remove a fibroid, you do have to talk about the possibility that bleeding is so severe mm that the only way then to save someone's life is to also remove the uterus. So the consent will have to to mm, include that, mm, that the possibility be. of removing the uterus at the same time. So women are really stuck, aren't they? And this is, the, this is a very difficult place to be in where you can't make a medical argument that, um, yes, there is a stronger need for, um, you know, an intervention. Um, I... I I feel for Rohana because um, clearly self-esteem, um, aesthetically, she feels that she is affected. Um, but that's how medicine is. That's how like. medicine is. But, you know, we do have a very good public health, a public hospital system that will do all of this surgery for free. So mm. not everything is expensive. Ah, okay. All right. We have other questions on fibroids and, of course, a lot more, but we need to go for a quick break first. Dr. Shilpa Nambia, consultant obstetrician and gynecologist in the studio with me, send us your questions about um, the female reproductive system. And that's just my catch-all phrase for describing any problems related to the vagina, ovaries, uterus, um, bleeding, discharge, Anything you want to ask, you can call us at 03-777-32900, WhatsApp our U-Mobile number 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. We'll be right back on Health & Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shao Ik, and my guest in the studio with me today, Dr. Shilpa Nambia, consultant, obstetrician and gynecologist. We are uh, looking for your questions related to the female reproductive system, any symptoms you've been experiencing, problems, things you've always wanted to ask. Uh, you can call us at 03-777-32900, WhatsApp our U-Mobile number at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. We've got one here from Nina who's asking, I understand that the vagina is self-cleaning and doesn't need things like soaps, but does that mean that all feminine hygiene washes are bad or are some better than others in terms of their formulation? The one word answer is yes, they are all bad. Now, the vagina is quite unique that it is not sterile. There's a lot of bacteria, they're good and bad, and usually they're in balance. So if you do try to overclean with soaps or feminine washes or douches, what ends up happening is that you clear your good bacteria as well. And the first opportunistic bacteria that comes back is usually the one that's not so good. So I would say just leave the vagina alone. There's a reason why it, is, it has the organisms that it has. Um, and it's important to maintain that microbiome. 
Mm. And uh, I think related to that then is one about um, smells. Um, on Twitter, we have somebody asking, is it normal to smell bad down there after having um, TTT? TTC sexual intercourse. I had to Google this, by the way. It's trying to conceive. If you're basically you're having intercourse when you're in that period when you're trying to conceive, is it normal to smell bad down there? Uh, and sh- this person is describing a rotting smell uh, and says that it only occurs after sexual intercourse. Okay, so there is. It's it's normal to have smells. But most of the time, because you've lived with yourself, you no longer smell your own discharge. So if you're smelling something, then it's obviously a new exposure or something different. Um, During, if you're trying to conceive, I'm assuming that this is when you're having sex during your fertile period, which is right in the middle of the cycle. And that's also the time when you have more discharge than normal because this extra lubrication is supposed to help the sperm up. But so if there's going to be more fluids from your end and more fluids from your partner's end, there's a lot more stuff mixing. Now, whether this is bad or not, well, it depends. Um, It may just be that you don't like the smell, but it's perfectly normal and there's no infection. But what you're describing here, um, there's only a smell after sex, may need to be checked because now there's a condition called bacterial vaginosis where there's an overgrowth of bad bacteria and you tend to smell, it's a very classic fishy smell after sex, during menstruation or when you're trying to wash yourself with soap. So if you do find that it smells worse when you're doing one of these three things, you might need to be checked or treated for bacterial vaginosis. Sof had a follow-up question about, um, uh, it's on WhatsApp here, about cleaning and washes. Uh, When you say to not clean the vagina, you mean inside, right? Not just uh, cleaning the outside. No, actually... There's a reason also why we have hair in the pubic area. It's there to prevent you from getting infection. So if you do sort of wax um, and clean with soap, you're not just stripping the the pubic area from something that's preventing infection. You're also stripping it of the natural oils, which will prevent infection. So don't clean it. If you need to clean it, clean it with water and that's all. I see. All right. Um, Discharge also links to a question on Instagram uh, asking how should we rely, should we rely completely on our discharge and perhaps what it looks like, texture and all, amount and all of that when it comes to getting to know our cycle to avoid pregnancy or alternatively, conversely, to conceive. That is the most unreliable way of of figuring out whether you're fertile or not. Um, And in fact, if you do not want to conceive, you should be on some reliable contraception like the pill or some condoms. Or if you're trying to conceive, trying to time it with ovulation is the worst thing you can do because you will never get it right. My advice is that if you're trying to conceive, just make sure you're having sex every two to three days um, and it will happen. And if it doesn't, um, a different conversation, obviously, about um, fertility treatment. Um, But discharge itself, um, you know, relying on it as a contraceptive method, um, not reliable, but knowing your discharge itself is important, right? It's important to know about your body. 
so that you know when something goes wrong and something is different. And that's when you ask for help or you get a consultation to see mm. if something's going on. All right. Um, you brought up uh, contraceptives and forms of birth control. We have a question here. I'm considering getting an IUD, but I've had several female friends share how having an IUD inserted led them to um, gaining weight. I've also heard OBGYNs repeatedly say that IUDs don't cause weight gain. Um, my friends' doctors also keep telling them that. I do wonder if doctors are being dismissive of what women notice about their own bodily changes simply because the IUD is doing its job, which is to prevent pregnancies. What's your take on this? So an IUD or an intrauterine device as a contraceptive works by working on the lining of the uterus. So there are two types. There's a copper IUD and there's a hormonal IUD. And they work completely in opposite uh, ways. The copper IUD causes a lot of inflammation around the uterine lining, making it thick and hostile. So um, it's difficult for an embryo to implant and continue to grow. It's just very hostile. Mm -hmm. The Mirena, or which is a hormonal IUD, thins out the lining. So it becomes so thinned out that you either don't have a period or you have a very light period. But at the same time, it there's no fertile soil for the embryo to implant. Mm. So just by the way it works, it doesn't actually affect your hormones or anything outside that uterine lining. In fact, it's not even enough to do anything to ovulation. So you're still ovulating once a month. You're still producing an egg, the hormones that come before and after. The only way it stops the pregnancy is by making that environment um, hostile. hostile. But if you're putting on weight, it's not the IUD. It may be your own menstrual cycle. There are times in the cycle, especially after ovulation, when you have water weight. You retain water because... Your body is programming itself to nourish a possible fetus. So you will have more circulating volume, more blood flow going to the uterus. And you may think that that's weight. But you'll find that as if it's water weight, as soon as you get your period again, those two kilos are gone. Mm. It may have, You may be happier, not worried so much about pregnancy. So <laughs> you're just eating better maybe. But definitely from a medical point of view, the IUD can't do anything. All right. Um, also related to birth control, Shafa is asking some women stop menstruating completely while using hormonal birth control like the implant in the arm. Um, does the cessation of menstruation for long periods of time cause long-term health effects? For instance, would it delay the onset of natural menopause? And Shafa is in her late 20s. Okay, so stopping menstruation by using birth control, especially Implanon or even um, uh, con contraceptive pills, um, it means that you now have hormones in your system that have cheated your body into thinking that it's pregnant. So it shuts the ovaries down and they are sort of quiet, mm -hmm. go into hibernation for as long as you're taking these contraceptions. Um, because you're still getting the hormones, it's just a more stable level. There are no real long-term effects. And in fact, you have no period, not because there's stuff collecting in your uterus. There's just no lining to be shed. So there's nothing dangerous about it. And in, in, in fact, it can even help to prevent long-term things like ovarian cancer and uterine cancer. So there are benefits to it. Mm. 
And I'm going to move on from that to menopause um, because Shafa brought that up. For Marie, um, what's the average age of menopause for women in Malaysia? I'm approaching my mid-40s and as my period is becoming more erratic, I'm concerned that this means I'm going through early menopause. So the average age is 50, so around 48 to 52. Some women are a bit later and some women are a bit earlier. The first thing that happens most of the time is that your cycle becomes erratic, like she's, Marie, Marie is mm. saying. <clears throat> but also if you have symptoms to suggest the menopause, things like hot flushes, um, palpitations, mood irritability changes, dryness everywhere, then it's more consistent with maybe getting there. Even in the perimenopause, so several years before the periods completely stop, you can have some of these symptoms and it's worth checking to see where you might be hormonally. Mm. But there are also some women who are genetically predisposed to an earlier menopause. Maybe your mother had menopause in her early 40s or your sister. Um, she might have had surgery to remove an ovary for whatever reason. And that, of course, brings the pool of follicles less. So it may bring on an earlier menopause because you had surgery. Um, but whatever it is, I think once the cycle starts to become erratic, it needs to be investigated. It may not even be the menopause. It may be some other hormonal problem like thyroid dysfunction. In fact, thyroid issues, whether it's overactive or underactive, one of the first things people notice is that their periods are irregular and they will have some symptoms which they think are the menopause, but actually are symptoms of uh, underactive thyroid. Such as? So weight gain, sluggishness, um, mm putting on weight despite not eating very much. I mean, all women say the same thing in the 40s, but when it's a bit more dramatic, um, especially difficulty to concentrate, sluggishness, uh, constipation, you very coarse skin, it may be a sign of hypothyroidism. Mm, so you do want to get, che get that checked out, Marie. Um, is it possible to test? Uh, you said knowing where you are in terms of your hormones. Can you actually check your levels? Yes, you can do a blood test and it will tell you, well, definitely it will tell us about thyroid dysfunction. Some There are also some other hormones that can affect your periods, like prolactin, which is the natural hormone that is released when you're breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. But some women have a small tumour in the brain that's, um, that's releasing uh, prolactin inappropriately. And then you also have no periods. Okay. The, the word tumour in the brain was very alarming there. <laughs> um, but It's a benign tumour. Okay, all right. <laughs> but still, um, the first sort of port of call, you know, if you um, if something is erratic and irregular, you get it checked out from there. And, um, you know, there are many things you want to be looking out for. Right? Yes, that's right. Um, we have somebody on WhatsApp here. Um, I had an... Inguinal, inguinal hernia from my second pregnancy. It wasn't hurting most days unless I exerted. My doctor suggested not to go with surgery, but I'm considering um, another pregnancy. Should I leave it be or get the hernia fixed um, before trying to conceive again? Would it affect my pregnancy? Uh, she's got some background information. Used to have period cramps, recurring yeast infection, UTI. Uh, okay, never mind. I think that's not um, really directly related to the hernia. Would you want to address that one? So a hernia is when there is um, like a like a, either a natural or a, a, a defect in the abdominal wall so that part of, um, well, it sounds alarming, but part of the bowel actually sort of comes through. So an inguinal hernia is one of these outpouches of bowel coming from the groin area. So if it 
didn't bother her, that means maybe it wasn't a big enough defect to cause herniation of the bowel enough to cause it to be strangulated or infected. Um, But definitely getting pregnant again, because there is now a mass, the uterus, slowly enlarging and increasing the, the pressure in the abdomen, it will recur. Whether you need to be to be fixed or not, I guess it depends on how what your surgeon thinks about whether it could be dangerous or not. If it's not, then leave it alone. Fixing it won't harm your chances of getting pregnant or even if, uh, affect the pregnancy and its development. It will just at least maybe give you peace of mind from getting a, a recurrence. Mm, but um, what could happen if she gets pregnant and then it starts to bother her. Would surgery be at all possible when she's pregnant? Yes, surgery is possible during pregnancy and it will be necessary if it becomes what they call strangulated. Mm. Mm. Um, The cleaning of vagina, very um, popular question. (laughs) Um, Having used soaps, etc. to clean the vagina, how does one get back the good bacteria that had been cleaned, cleansed out? So... The bacteria will naturally populate as long as you're taking care of yourself, which means eating good food, avoiding processed things which deplete good bacteria, not being stressed, easier said than done, getting enough sleep. So People are going to ask about probiotics. Probiotics are very good. But if you go right back to your very bad lifestyle, mm-hmm. you know, the probiotics are not going to help you forever. Yep. You'll get a rebound as soon as you've stopped it. Mm. So... The take-home message is that you've got to take care of yourself. Yes. And uh, everything, um, you know, sort of makes itself known, right, in in your body. Um, We have more questions. I've got a few about the use of sanitary pads, uh, as well as some related to, I guess, maybe skin presentation stuff, uh, which I'll get to after we come back from the break. Dr. Shilpa Nambia, consultant, obstetrician and gynecologist in the studio with me answering all the questions that you have related to the female reproductive system, its organs and all the symptoms and problems that you may be experiencing. Keep them coming in. You can WhatsApp us at 018789 tweet us at BFM Radio or call us at 03 We'll be right back, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoik. For our open clinic segment today, we are tackling the female reproductive system. But really, um, we're talking about the organs, the hormones that have to do with much more than reproductive uh, reproduction. Um, they affect um, our entire health and well-being. They affect our moods. Um, they affect the way that we are able to function and, um, you know, lot to do with our identity as well. Um, anyway, call us with your questions 03-7733-2900. WhatsApp our U-Mobile number 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. I've got um, a whole bunch of questions here. I'm going to, I guess we have to try to um, get through them a little quicker. Um, but here's a few about um, the use of sanitary pads. Um, Chen Wen does wearing the pad, a uh, sanitary pad, make the skin around the vagina dark and black? And what can we do about this? No, it doesn't cause the skin to be dark and black unless you're maybe allergic to something in the pad. Um, and if there's some kind of discoloration that's new, it could be a skin condition, it could be an allergic reaction, it could be post-infective 
pigmentation, it needs to be checked out. Mm. And if the effect, uh, another uh, um, uh, follower on Instagram was asking, if the effect is that uh, the private parts become dry and flaky or develop a rash uh, after using pads, you know, like for three or four days into your period? Well, it shouldn't do all that. It shouldn't make the skin dry and flaky unless you've overwashed because you're worried about period blood. Um, but similarly, there's skin around the private region, which like anywhere else, could are prone to skin conditions. So you could have ex- eczema, psoriasis also in the vulval region. Mm-hmm. And so if that's what you have, it needs to be treated with medication. And perhaps flare up because the use of sanitary pads then irritates. Could be. Mm. Um, A question from Nuri, which is perhaps a a broader um, perspective of um, sanitary pads. Is it super important to pay attention to what my pads or tampons are made of? I'm uh, right now just buying whatever is cheaper. Sometimes I don't change it as often as I should. Um, uh, probably again for financial reasons. Um, so are there long-term effects um, to to make her have to care about the products that uh, she's using and how frequently does she need to change? I think the materials in the sanitary pads not so important where, unless of course you had an allergy to one of these things. And if... Um, Buying pads, of course, hygiene is important. You need to change it when it's soaked because blood is a very good medium for bacterial overgrowth. So even things like tampons, don't leave them in for too long because you can get things like toxic shock syndrome. But if um, buying pads is an issue, you might want to consider one of the newer um, menstrual cups, which can be washed and emptied. Yeah, and uh, that's uh, exactly our listener who WhatsApped in earlier. Her second comment was um, that she highly recommends using a menstrual cup. Environmentally friendly, easy to clean, affordable, much more comfortable. No more leaking. Um, Thanks for sharing that because I think that is a concern for a lot of women who are sort of thinking about menstrual cups. Um, We have a completely different kind of question here from Jiayi. I'm kind of tired of having to deal with my hormones all the time. I feel like I can never catch a break. And I've been toying with the idea of getting a female sterilization. Um, Don't plan on ever having kids. Would that make all my problems go away? Or would there be other problems that I would have to deal with? (sighs) Sometimes it seems like we all feel like this, isn't it? Mm -hmm. now, I'm not quite sure where um, Jiayi is in the reproductive age group. Um, dealing with hormones is unfortunately something we were born into and we need to. But how these hormones are affecting you is important to explore. Is it that you have very severe premenstrual syndrome, premenstrual dysphoric disorder? Now, where that emotional symptoms predominate over other things, is it making it difficult to, you know, cope with work or life? Then, you know, there is help for all of that. If it is about just not wanting to have children, um, getting sterilization doesn't actually stop hormones from being produced or the cycle from continuing. It just stops you from having conception and a baby. So if hormones are causing you to feel crazy, it's important to explore what it is it about the hormones that are making you feel crazy. Sometimes if, if you're in the perimenopausal stage, you get very much more um, prominent symptoms. That doesn't mean you're in the menopause, but it means that you're experiencing them more than you did when you were in 20s or 30s. 
But I don't think that this is an easy question to answer because we don't have all the information. Definitely talk to a doctor about what bothers you specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Ng, um, whose question um, over here is, uh, my wife is in her early 50s. She's having continuous bleeding. Sometimes it's light, but it's been going on for a year. Um, what sh- should she be concerned about here? Oh, it's definitely cause for concern. In the 50s, you'd assume that it was menopause. and But what we also need to exclude is dangerous things like precancer and cancer. Because bleeding is not necessarily just from the uterus. It could be from the cervix. There could be a growth down below or a growth deeper inside. Although most of the time it's benign and nothing to worry about, the serious causes need to be excluded. So definitely see a doctor. All right. Um, earlier I mentioned um, I wanted to address some related to skin presentation. Um, fee was asking, and um, not sure whether this may be more of a dermatology question, how can I prevent or treat acne on my pubic area? Well, acne for some women is something that they have premenstrually. Just before they get their period, there are some hormones which predominate causing acne. So um, obviously, if it is bad enough, you might want to just go on a contraceptive pill to stop the cycle completely. But otherwise, you just might have to take extra care of yourself during that vulnerable time. Perhaps clean more, um, exfoliate maybe. Hmm. Pubic area, if you've got hair there, sometimes hair can get sort of blocked. Or if you're shaving, sometimes you cause little nicks that cause infection. Hmm. But would cleaning and exfoliating go against what you said about, you know, not sort of like douching and washing the the vaginal area? I would say don't even wax. If you wax, that's when you'll notice all these rashes and pimples and things like that. Mm. Because what you're trying to do to remove the hair is what's probably causing it. Mm. If you just leave pubic hair alone, but trim it and keep it neat, I don't think you'll have any of these problems. Okay. Um, another question was, um, how can I differentiate if I have a vaginal pimple or is it genital herpes? Now, for most people, the first time you have herpes, you will not miss it. It's very painful. Um, and it usually looks like, uh, like well, it, it starts out looking like a blister, like chickenpox blister, and then it sort of ruptures. And it's incredibly painful. That's the hallmark of herpes. Mm. Whereas a pimple may be just a swelling with a, with a pus head. Um, if you're not sure go to the doctor early because herpes can be treated and made less uncomfortable, less painful if you start the medication early enough. And that's usually between 24 to 48 hours. Mm. And um, very important because um, you don't want to be passing on. Um, yes. It is a, a infectious uh, condition, isn't it? That's right. Um, Kiko um, is asking... Um, I'm with a partner who I just realized doesn't seem to have the best personal hygiene. So I'm worried that during sexual intercourse, I will contract some nasty infection um, because he doesn't, well, I'm not going to be too graphic here. He doesn't clean himself very well. Is his personal hygiene something I should be worried about when it comes to my own reproductive health? Of course, because... It's not just about whether you've cleaned away bacteria. 
if somebody has so little regard for their personal hygiene, it also means they may not have been as careful with other partners. And that means that you may be at risk of contracting some sexually transmitted infection. Mm. So... Um this is not a relationship show, I guess, yeah. but um, you know, if you were looking for the answer as to whether it'll affect you, um, 100% definitely, yes. yes, it would. And that should be the leverage um, that you need to, to have this conversation with him. Actually, earlier when we were talking about fibroids, I forgot to bring up this one uh, from Instagram. Uh, can you get pregnant with fibroids? What are birth control options for people who do have fibroids? Most people do get pregnant with fibroids. And in fact, pregnancy is the first time they discover they have a fibroid. So unless it was a fibroid in a specific place which stopped you from getting pregnant, I would not recommend removing a fibroid because you think that's the reason. Um, birth control suggestions for those with fibroids, the same as anybody else, unless um, you were considering an intrauterine device, so if the fibroid is now making the uterus very large, then the intrauterine device will no longer be appropriate. But all the hormonal methods can be used mm. without any problems. All right. Um, so I think we have cycled through all of the questions and it's about time to wrap up. Do you have a final takeaway um, when it comes to, you know, what, what would you like our listeners to remember uh, after all the kinds of um, you know uh, issues that they've brought up today? Well, our ovaries, our uterus, the cervix are very important parts of not just reproduction, but make us who we are and hormones make us what we are. So we do have to take care of ourselves. If you find that there are any symptoms that make you distressed, it may, you don't dis dismiss it as, oh, something I just have to live with or I have to suffer because my mother suffered. If something is affecting the way you live your life, even if it may be discovered that there's no pathology, there is still an avenue to look for help and try to make yourself more comfortable. So I would say as young as you can be, try to go see a gynecologist just to maintain, even if you don't have an illness, learn about how you can maintain reproductive health, maintain good health so that... You are mm. happy for as long as you can be. Um, from the uh, as young as possible, from the time you hit puberty, would you recommend? I would that? say so. At least you know to learn about hygiene, how to take care of yourself during your periods. Um, if you're considering s starting a sexual relationship, definitely important to talk about infections and mm. prevention of pregnancy. These are questions that sometimes you don't want to ask your parents, mm. but a gynecologist may be able to advise you. On a yeah, but um, I think that's a mindset shift there as well. Culturally, we tend to think, why do you need to see a gynecologist if you're not trying to get pregnant or if you're not, uh, you know, trying to conceive, right? So important, um, even for young girls, about important getting to young. know your body um, and knowing how to stay well and healthy. Thank you so much, that's Dr. Right. Shilpa Nambia, consultant, obstetrician and gynecologist for our Ask a Doctor segment today. This has been Health and Living on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.